only we had an Old Testament scholar to talk about the end times with us. Don't tempt me. <laughs> I went through a I went through a point in my um, in my I don't have my microphone set up though, but um, I did go through a point in my my faith walk where I got really obsessed with Revelation, really obsessed. Cool. Yeah. Did you read all 47 books of Left Behind? I did. What? I only made my way through like 19 of the the young version. (laughs) Oh, my mom tried to buy those for my kids at a used bookstore last summer and I rebuked her. Because of dyslexia, I didn't read a book on my own until first year of high school. And the first books I read on my own were the entire Left Behind series. Oh my god! And and the book series, the youth young adult series called Rainbow Boys. What is Rainbow Boys about? It's this love triangle between these four gay guys or three gay guys in high school. I think I've seen this at a a Goodwill once, and I was like, "What is this?" That totally cancels out reading Left Behind. I like it. You ended up back at like a zero sum for that. I read them at the exact same time. I think that cancels, they cancel each other out. (laughs) Technically, you didn't read anything, Josh. (laughs) Yeah, I think you're at at zero now. (laughs) Yep, that's it. Oh, that's awesome. All right. All right. He does actually have dyslexia. Josh, Nora just heard you talking about dyslexia, and she's about as dyslexic as a human being can be. And she went, oh, dyslexia? Did he say dyslexia? So now you're yes, like, Yes, you know. dyslexic friends. He's a nerd and loves to read and is dyslexic. We love it. We love to see it. Hey, what's up, Grant? Hello, it's good to talk with you. I feel like we haven't talked in a while. I know. I've heard you several times on podcasts (laughs) and talks and other things in the last couple of months, but I don't even think, did I see you in person at Revoice? I think we saw, maybe saw each other briefly and I said, oh, hey, um, I I think I like asked you about what you're doing. You're like, I'm not supposed to be here, actually. I'm not, yeah. And see, it and was then, so impactful, I don't even remember actually talking to you. So, yeah, I was trying really yeah. hard to not be there. Yeah. Yeah, but finishing you were up there. sabbatical while at Revoice was an oxymoron. So, yeah. 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 So, it was good stuff. Good to well, see you. yeah, it's good to see you and to talk. Well, we have been spending the last four uh, episodes, or this will be the fourth episode, in this uh, theological dive into kind of the grand narrative of scripture that's what we called it when i used to teach bible of creation fall or the big breakup that's what redemption (laughs) and restoration or glorification or getting things back to the way god intended for eternity however you want to describe that so this is going to be the last episode where we get to talk about all things theoretical what's it going to look like and glorification. Uh, so have you have you listened to the first three? I know you um, participated. So have you listened to the rest of them? I, I participated in um, the first one on creation, um, but I have not listened great. to the other ones yet. Okay. Um, so this is this is going to be I hope what we say builds on what has come before. But oh, absolutely. Uh, 
it's amazing. Yeah, I rec- yeah. the one that I uh, did talking about sin, I totally recorded it before I listened to y'all's and then went back and listened and was so thankful that the Holy Spirit guides because they lined up really well. And I was like, I need to make sure that I listen to these before I do the next one because, I mean, it's great to rely on the Holy Spirit. That's a really important thing, but absolutely, it's also nice to know what you're building on. So, yeah. Yeah, the Holy That's Spirit it. uses our knowledge too and you know what we've learned so (laughs) give the holy spirit something to work with (laughs) that's right that's right i like that well what um how did you how did you feel coming off that creation conversation i because it was interesting listening to y'all um having worked with it for years now with all of us that there were a couple of times that it sounded like Y'all weren't terribly sure if you were really going to talk about what you absolutely fully believe. Like you were nervous to say, mm-hmm. hey, this is what mm-hmm. I really believe about stuff. But then it ended up being this like fascinating conversation. And wh- how did you feel in that in that first conversation about creation? Yeah, I think um, something that's interesting about this sort of theological miniseries is that we're all coming to it from slightly and maybe even very different theological traditions. And so we're offering our thoughts and we don't necessarily agree on everything. Um, So I think I was wondering about how that was gonna go down, but I think it turned out really well. And um, I think we had discussed this in, in the group message, but we were nervous about getting into theological conversations because we're afraid we're going to get out of our depth. And I'm sure there's plenty of stuff that's out of my depth. But um, it was fun. It was fun that we had a lot of a lot of kind of formed thoughts um, on in the creation episode, and it ended up being really fun. So I I suspect it will be similar um, with this conversation. But how were the other two episodes? Oh, they were absolutely fantastic um listening to henry and elizabeth for that last one um i did say in the group chat that i ugly cried while i was mowing the grass listening to it that they also talked about at one point wanting to uh or elizabeth starting a church and i was like you know if we just had like a kaleidoscope non-denominational church somewhere and Henry and Elizabeth were running it, I think that I would move to help with that church plant because uh, they had church on that episode and it was so healing and so helpful. And so good. I hope other people thought it was as great as I thought it was because I've already listened to it like three times. Um, oh, nice. It was just very, very timely and very needed. Oh, four times. My daughter says four times as I'm being interrupted <laughs> by a 10 year old to let me know how many times I've listened to it. Um, yeah, it was, it was, it was good stuff. So good. I enjoyed getting to talk about sin, which is kind yeah. of a weird thing to say, but we don't ever get to have conversations like that about, so what does that look like? And so I yeah. really enjoyed getting to have that talk. And I think what I, I, I love this whole reclaiming series, uh, this theme for this, um, this season, because we get to talk about things that have been used, wielded against us in really painful right. ways. And we get to engage with it in a way that's actually safe. Uh, so talking about sin, like, ooh, that sounds scary 
if, if, it were, if, if it weren't us, you know, if it weren't us, that seems really scary. It could be really scary. Um, but it's, it's nice to be able to engage with those, that topic freely and safely and humbly and knowing that like, there's plenty right. of sin in my life. I'm, I'm, I'm a sinner for sure, you know, but yeah. it's nice to not have to feel like super pressured by that kind of conversation. So oh, that's yeah. really cool. And, and that's what I think is going to be so great about this last topic looking at glorification is sort of like the end arrival of we've gone through all of this stuff we've discussed it we've looked at sin we've looked at how we live in this life uh, we got to had a good conversation about what justification means so we've got the next kind of theological term with glorification uh, what what do you think of when you hear somebody talking about glorification um I think, well, I do think about my very first controversy back in yes. the day. Love um, it. <laughs> thinking about, there's that passage in, in the book of Revelation uh, that talks about the, the kings of the earth bringing the honor and glory of the nations into the new Jerusalem. And the idea for me is that um, this new future city is going to have everything in it that is good and beautiful and true. Um, and so it really excites me to think about what that could look like. It's of course, super speculative and um, I can't say anything for certain, but um, yeah, I think that's, that's the thing that comes to mind most, most quickly for me. But what about you? Yeah, the whole glorification aspect of theology and looking at that is something that I really avoided for a long time because it fell into that idea of end times. Mm -hmm. And I didn't, like, I grew up Southern Baptist, and so it was very pre-tribulation Jesus is coming and he's going to take all the Christians out and then the world is going to be this horrible horrible place and then he's going to come back and reign in Jerusalem and then like that was it it was like okay so so what's it what's it going to be past that and there was never any discussion of what does eternity look like it's hmm. it was always just Jesus is going to come back and reign and so there was no what does that look like? And so you had to rely on like Looney Tunes images mm -hmm, of, mm -hmm. you know, like floating on clouds with harps yeah. and everything's going to be perfect. There's going to be no more sin. And it seemed like that was equated with that American Puritanism of being boring. And oh, I was like yeah. that now. So we're just going to work and just not be fight church forever. for all of eternity. And that sounded awful. So like, I never, I never studied it. Cause I was like, that sounds terrible. Like, why would you want to live yeah. like that? Um, but the last few years of realizing that what you think about eschatology, that our big theological term, the end times actually affects how you live mm -hmm. now. Like mm -hmm. what you believe about the end of this chronological world that we live in and being ushered into eternity affects how you live now. Like if you believe in a 
pre-millennial, pre-tribulation rapture, God is just going to burn the thing down and start over, then creation care, even though it's mandated in Genesis, doesn't Mm -hmm. really seem that important because God's just going to burn it all down anyway. So it affects so much of how you live. Yeah. But I have just been fascinated the last few years thinking about the idea of holiness and like how that works with Hmm. glorification, like holiness and glory. Um, That it's that idea of perfection more that you see it in scripture as perfect being complete, not that it's boring or that puritanical idea, but just that something is complete. It has reached its fullness and it is what God intended it to be. And that that can be so full of fun and joy and mm-hmm. like sticking with that idea of holiness and glory that the most holy, glorified, sinless being who ever walked the earth was Jesus. Mm-hmm. And he turned water into wine at a wedding That's and got right. in trouble, right? Got yes, in trouble. Did going to dinner parties with prostitutes and tax collectors. Like if you're looking for the definition of holy and then you see how Jesus lived his life and you think this is what it's going to be like for eternity. He worked hard and he played hard. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. like that idea. Like yeah. that sounds much, much better. And yeah. so building off of what Jesus had to say about the end times, as opposed to what like Tim LaHaye has to say about the end times, <laughs> God bless the left behind series. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it seems like a fantastic way to spend eternity of a yeah. glorified work hard, play hard. There's nothing that gets in the way of perfected community. But we're not going to be like sitting around on clouds with harps like we're yeah. going to be doing life we're just going to be doing it in a way that we're not hurting each other anymore and yeah. that sounds amazing yeah yeah <laughs> like, sign me up for that you know absolutely i think i think another thought that i've had along those similar lines is um i don't think that uh, a glorified resurrected life is going to be static yeah. Like, so the idea of completeness or wholeness isn't going to mean that we're not going to like always be learning more or doing more. I think the resurrected life is kind of ever expanding. Um, I think of uh, a C.S. Lewis. I took a C.S. Lewis class in in college, and it sort of rewired my brain. Um, but we read uh, the last battle. Um, <sighs> Yes. And that was one of the books where I cried. Okay, it was it was um, Voyage <laughs> of the Dawn Treader yes. with Reaper Cheap. With Reaper Cheap! Um, oh, I cried. Um, and then Last Battle, I cried. Um, oh, but yeah. there was that scene where they're all in New Narnia and they're all sort of moving forward and, and galloping off into further up and further in into more yeah. and more of New Narnia. And they just keep going forever. They just keep going and exploring more. And there's always more to explore. Um, One of my favorite uh, thinkers, at least over the past couple years, has been Gregory of Nyssa, uh, Mm -hmm. early church father. Uh, And he contrasted or his his vision of this of 
um, of the resurrected life contrasted with that of St. Augustine's. And Augustine thought um, it's going to be like a Sabbath, um, like eternal rest. And uh, Gregory of Nyssa said, it, you're never going to be satisfied. You're going to keep wanting more. It's going to go on forever. Yeah. Um, you're going you're gonna to keep learning more about God because God is infinite. You're going to keep growing. You're gonna, it's going to be infinite. It's just going to keep going on forever and ever and ever. And that seems really exciting to me. So it's not, it's not a stasis, but it, it moves on for eternity. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's, it's ever new. It's, that's really exciting for me. Yeah. I, the first time I really considered what eternity is actually going to be like was when I was in seminary working on my MDiv and we listened to a guy present part of his PhD dissertation work and he was focusing specifically on the environment and eternity and his thesis was that when John talks about things being destroyed in fire and, and the new heavens and the new earth and all of these things that if we were created before the fall to live on the earth and you take that image and picture of like a refiner's fire and how the Lord burns the things off that are not for his glory and for our good that he viewed that fire like a refining fire and that for the, the new heavens and the new earth that the things that were made and created and developed by humans in time would survive that so that it would just be building upon the creation and the mm. culture that humanity has already built and the things that we built for his glory are left and then we continue to build on those things. So like when Jeremiah talks about living your life for the good of the city, that mm -hmm. things that we were mandated to create culture, like God's not going to just cancel out all the work that all of humanity has done. Cause like he, he sent us to do a job mm -hmm. and he's not going to just like destroy that work, you know? And so like just speculating, like that kind of got my, my imagination going a little bit thinking about we're going to have all of eternity to see the amazing things on the planet that yeah. people created because God just made us to create. Yeah. And that just that idea and that thought of being able to, to see and to enjoy the culture that we've already built and then to continue building on that in this glorified way. Hmm. Um, it, I mean, that's just, it's fascinating to me. Yeah. Um, I love, I love to, to think about the way that is going to be because right now there are so many limitations on things and, it, sure. and it's so frustrating to think about things because I have such a wanderlust anyway. So just on a really yeah. like physical, practical level, I'm never going to be able to read all the books. I'm oh, never going to be able to I was just about to say that. Things, right? <laughs> yes, I'm yes. never going to be able to see all the things. And it was that reminder of the fact that like God created us for eternity and we're going to be creating for eternity and having conversations like we will be able to have deep theological conversation centered dinner parties for all of eternity. Mm -hmm. And so those of us who have spent our lived lives feeling a little awkward about the fact that we don't do small talk, but we can spend six hours talking about four <laughs> views on the millennium, you know? Yeah. Um, 
like that's what we're going to be doing. It's like we were totally created for eternity. And that sounds great to me. Yeah. Yeah. I love that, that seems, idea. That seems very good, I have to yeah. say. And it's it's also exciting to think that, like, I love to talk about the the theological works of, of great thinkers throughout history. And it'd be so amazing to have like a dinner party. We were discussing a book and then be like, okay, so, and now we're going to have the author come in and speak to us. (laughs) I used to joke that I wanted my house to be between um, Martin Luther and Spurgeon so that Martin could bring the beer and Charles could bring the cigars. And we're all just going to meet at my house and have great conversations. Like that sounds like so much fun. Yeah, um, I'd I'd like to have a conversation with Martin Luther too. <laughs> <laughs> they might be a little different now than that, when I first thought that that was going to be a great idea. That would be so, that yeah. would be fun. I I exactly. agree. It'd be fun for different reasons. I bet. Yeah. Um, yeah, that is a good. Okay, that is something I've wondered about. I know that there have been lots of like shifts in in views over the last few years, like from when we first met, um, mm-hmm. going from reformed theology to catholicism is a big jump Um, how how has that how has that affected your your view of glorification um well i think one of the things part of part of the process for me over the past couple years there's this reformed uh truism that grace restores nature yeah um and that is definitely true um, to a certain extent. Still, I still hold to a lot of that. But um, I think at the time I was wondering how to reconcile that, that view um, with, with the idea in the Gospel of Matthew where Jesus talks about uh, marriage passing away. Yeah. Um, and in the resurrection, we're not going to be married People won't get married. Um, so it seems like marriage and sexual activity pass away or are transcended. Um, and now that's, that's a, I'm, I'm pretty convinced of that uh, now. So trying to figure out um, how to speak about glorification in a way that nature is not just restored um, to like a garden kind of yeah. experience. But it's made into something better. It's it's transcended. Uh, like our our garden nature is transcended, and it becomes something even more beautiful. Like we start in a garden, we're in a city by the end. So there is yeah. some kind of trajectory. <laughs> um, so that was, I think, part of the process for me. But uh, I don't think that's necessarily reducible to like a move from reform theology to. Catholic theology. I think lots of reformed yeah. folks can can get behind that as well. But that's yeah. that was part of the process for me. I like it. Hey, I'm gonna hold on one minute. We have to edit this out. There's somebody at my door. Hold okay. on. Oh, fun. Put this in the bloopers. You're doing great. Am I? Are we? Yes. Oh. Um. It's funny, you brought up Last Battle literally as I was thinking about it. Okay, good. Yeah, it's a good one. It's so good. Yeah. I know. My, my controversial take on glorification 
Uh-huh. Are you ready for this? I'm ready. That not everything will be resolved. Okay. Like, what do you mean? <laughs> I don't believe all human conflict is just going to naturally fall Oh, away. for sure. Yeah. Yeah, because we're still like going to be gonna limited. Get, we're still going to have a, like, sit-down counseling session with God where he sits us down with Rosaria Butterfield. <laughs> <laughs> like, we're going to spend, like, the first 15 years of eternity in conflict resolution? Is that yeah. what you're saying? Yeah, I said, that's my controversial take on glorification. Honestly. I'm saying that you guys are going to do great. I love, I love that. It. I love that. Yeah. I think I would love to have a sit-down conversation yeah. where there's no, like, stakes anymore, you know? Like, no one has to accuse anyone that they're no longer a Christian, for instance. (laughs) Right? Because I don't like the idea of us just getting to eternity and just everything being okay, as if it never happened. Like, there's Mm -hmm. no justice or restoration or anything with that. Like, I still think that we're going to have to wrestle with some of the, I really screwed that up kind of stuff, you know? Yeah. One of my friends... um, he... I'm going to just let you guys continue. I don't know how I'll edit this, but there you go. Yeah. <laughs> my last thing I'll say is that my argument for why this isn't in Revelation is where it talks about the leaves of the tree of life will be used for the healing of the nations. And if oh, we're already in the kingdom, right. why is there need healing? That's good. Amen, brother. I think one of my friends, Bri, um, he, we were talking about glorification um, as people are wont to do late at night. Um, Christians are want to do, but he shared with me that his perspective is that just like in our current time, um, things just sort of naturally fall apart, naturally break down. Um, there will come a point, it won't be like this big dramatic cataclysmic thing, uh, or it, it might not be, but there'll come a point where things will just start to fall together again. Yeah. And then slowly, like slowly everything will like all the, all the evil that we've committed against the, the environment, um, all the pollution, all the sin that we've, we've committed against others. It'll slowly resolve and be like, and, and we'll get back to where we'll get back to a good place again. But yeah. it'll be slow, you know? It'll be a, a slow process. And I really like that. I, I don't know if I can, like, pull verses and support this idea, but I, yeah. but I like that idea. I think it's, it's good. It's not, it's not going to be just, like, magically all of a sudden everything is good again. But there, there might be a process where things will get good again. I like yeah. that. And, and that fits more of God understanding us as creation, because especially for those of us who are a little neurodiverse, can you imagine if you just like picked us up and dropped us back into an entirely, like yeah. even in our glorified, perfected state with our new bodies and whatever, like that just seems cruel. Yeah. Yeah. Even with like a glorified neurodivergence, like that right? would seem like, really. I'd still like to kind of ease into it, you know? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Oh, glorified neurodivergence. I like that. Okay. That's going to be, let's chase that rabbit trail for just a second. Yeah. Okay. So we've talked about uh, this idea of like interacting with the environment and what things are going to look like and kind of how we might spend our time. 
what do you think when we talk about glorified bodies, like looking at Jesus again as the example and like what he looks like post-resurrection, you've got these glimpses of things like at the transfiguration with Moses and Elijah mm-hmm. and like looking at these sorts of things, do, have you done much speculation and thinking about what that's going to look like for us just as humanity in general, but specifically for queer people? Like, yeah, I know that you've done a little bit of thinking and work on mm-hmm. that. So what do you think? Yeah, I think, um, wow, this brings up so many different things we could talk about and all of them are super <laughs> speculative and they could offend just about everybody. Um, we should just talk but, about all of them so that everyone's oh, equally offended gosh. all at the same time. Yeah. Well, over many years, I've come to the conclusion that looking at my sexuality solely through the lens of a kind of disability fails to capture the full, um, the full extent of it. Yeah. Uh, but also the way that people, the kind of quote unquote disability lens that people use often doesn't really actually do justice to people who are disabled. <laughs> um, <Right>. So <laughs> it's, it's, um, it's tricky, but I think that there's something about my, my queerness uh, that is cultural that happened because of certain circumstances in my life. And I think those circumstances are always going to be a part of my past. And so that part of my queerness is not going to get erased in, in yeah. glory. But I think there's also something really deep uh, um, and a core experience uh, of my, my sexuality, my, my being gay, that is not actually related to same-sex sexual desire, which I think will fade yeah. away. So I think uh, Wes Hill, in his book, Washed and Waiting, there was this section where he said um, he and Henri Nouwen and Gerard Manley Hopkins will get to the resurrection and they'll marvel that they're not gay anymore. But then years later, he came back to that uh, in a blog post um, on spiritual friendship. And it's that, that post has been really important to me. And he yeah. said, I... I just don't know if that's the right way to say that anymore. <laughs> uh, and so I think, I think I will be gay in the resurrection. It'll like all, the sin will be removed, but I don't think that my experience right now is reducible to sin um, or right. brokenness. And I think it's similar. Um, and I'm sort of speaking out of my depth here. Um, this is only by analogy. So um, disabled folks, y'all should come in and we should have a conversation about this. But yes, s- speculating, I think it's similar with with disability, like disability is not just a kind of brokenness. There's a kind of goodness in it, too. Um, and so I don't think that it, it's quite right to say that um, disabled folks whose lives are so beautiful uh, in part because of their disability that they're quote unquote, not going to be disabled anymore. Like right. some of that is true, I guess, but, but like, I mean, if you take away my, my being gay, who am I? Like, that sounds like a different person. 
Right. So, so there's part of me that's really exactly. wrapped up with that. I think it's I think it's similar with all sorts of other um, other things. But but of course, uh, disabled folks, please. <laughs> please reach out to me. Let's talk about it. But um, I'm sort of speaking yeah. out of my depth there. But yeah, I mean, I, I've had friends that um, specifically with hearing impairments that have kind of speculated about that. And it's like, it's, it's such a part of who they are that if you think, you know, when people talk about the idea of everyone being perfected in our glorified state that we're going to have these new glorified bodies and they're going to work just fine. Everything is going to be exactly the way it was supposed to be before the fall. And they can't even fathom what that is like because they're like, I would inherently be a different person. So like Mm. what, you know, what does that, what does that look like? How does that, and that's an interesting thing to, to speculate on of, you know, when, sin and the effects of sin are removed Mm -hmm. i think that we're going to be really surprised at what remains like we think that everything we're all going to be equal as far as abilities and uh, absolutely no differences in body that sounds horrifically again boring like everybody's just going to be all the same and that seems to take away part of our humanity because so much of what it means to be human is to display the diversity of Mm -hmm. God. And if we're just all the same, it doesn't really seem like we're going to have the opportunity to do that. Yeah. Um, But I heard um, somebody, and I've been racking my brain while you were talking, trying to think of where the conversation was taking place. And I cannot remember. Um, but some people talking about the the idea of in end times, specifically looking at like sexuality and things like oh, it was on here. It was one of our episodes. That's it. Oh, like, was it was like, us. Yeah, it was us that was having this conversation. Um, that it's gonna be like without the desire, like the sexual desire of same-sex attraction at its root there's not anything wrong with desiring to be in relationship with people of the same sex. And so you have this spectrum of relationship desires that there are some people that they just, I know lots of girls that most of their friends are guys. And I know guys that most of their friends are girls. And I know non-binary people that have kind of an evenly divided friend. Like that's just, people are attracted to different kinds of people. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't necessarily have much to do with gender or sexual attraction. Um, but that we will be able to see how that preference for being with people of the same sex or of the opposite sex or looking at gender diversity, how that is going to play in eternity when it's not affected by sin and temptation. Yeah. That. You know, used to, we spent a whole lot of time, just culturally, as humanity, men spent a whole lot of time with biological men. And mm-hmm. women spent a whole lot of time with biological women. And so there was a lot of, especially for those of us that had more same-sex attraction, that we needed to be with people of the same sex for intimacy and understanding that happened naturally because so much of human culture was divided by sex. Mm-hmm. But 
it's really only been in like the last 200 years that humanity's kind of all been thrown in together. And so for those who needed that, we've kind of come up short. And, hmm. and you know, like just that thinking of, imagine what it's gonna be like for people who naturally have a desire to be known and to know people of the same sex and it not be tainted with that relational temptation of sex is the highest form of love, yeah. which yeah. is what, I mean, humanity has been tempted with for since the beginning, it feels like sometimes. Mm -hmm. But to be able to bypass that and to transcend that into a spiritual and relational intimacy for us to be able to see how good same-sex relationships can be when they aren't tainted and tempted by sin. Um, and the same for heterosexual relationships. For sure. You know, I mean, when Jesus talks about the fact that in, the, in eternity, we're not going to be given in marriage, if that idea of sexual desire is changed or altered or tamed or doesn't even exist because there's no need to procreate in mm -hmm. eternity. Mm -hmm. Like how, how is that going to affect the relationship between people just in general? You know, I mean, not yeah. even having to look necessarily just at queerness, but you know, especially people who are like hypersexualized straight people, like the only way they know how to relate to the opposite sex is in a sexual relationship like how much is eternity going to confuse them when they realize that sex has nothing to do with, I mean, like there's still like discipleship and learning about ourselves. That's going to have to take place. Yeah. You know, that's so exciting. That's so exciting. Yeah. I, I mean, we're going to have to learn how to relate to people all over again. Yeah. I also, as you were talking, I also was thinking how like in a, in a world where there is death, yeah, we have limited time. And so we necessarily have to prioritize certain relationships over other relationships. Right. Um, but in the resurrection, that there will be no limit. Like I can always, like even if I don't see you for like 300 years or whatever the equivalent is in it, eternity, right. but like I, I will never have to regret that I haven't seen you. I can just see you, you know, like yeah. it's, there's, there's so much like really practical. Um, there's so many really practical things that we're going to, to realize are just totally transcended yeah. and it's just going to be so good. Yeah. Well, and that, that's where it like gets into the fun stuff of like looking at Jesus's post-resurrection body that he just comes and goes as he darn well pleases, you know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like space and time don't seem to impact him anymore. And so like, that's one question I've had of just like wondering about things like that. Like Jesus is clearly in his glorified body, like, transcending space and time yeah yes but if then none of us are held by space and time because we are in eternity there is a new heaven and a new earth like what does that look like like 
can mm-hmm. I have breakfast in Chattanooga with my family and then go like chill in Afghanistan for dinner? And it's just maybe like, there, right? I mean, like there are no time zones. There's no like, I, it, yeah. It just fascinates me to think about how that's going to work. Like if we are created inside of time, but we are going to be outside of time, like time ends and we're in eternity, but the earth was specifically created within time because day and night and like, that's the kind of stuff that like breaks my brain when I can't sleep at night. That's the kind of stuff that I think about. Like, how are we going to be on earth, but there's no time, but the, like, is the earth going to keep spinning or what does that look? That's the kind of stuff that throws me off. I think we're all just trying to latch on to images that, that emphasize how good eternity is going to be, but they're all going to fall short of the reality. Like there's just no way to conceptualize it. Yeah. Um, I mean, even uh, I've been really interested uh, lately in uh, the sort of apophatic approach to theology, the idea that it's always, it's always more accurate to say what God is not than what God is. Because yes. every time you say something that God is, it's necessarily going to fall short. Yeah. Uh, so it leads you to say really like on, a, on their face, really ridiculous things like God is not a being. <laughs> right. God doesn't exist. And the idea is like he God doesn't exist in any way that we can understand existence, you know, right. God isn't a being. Um, he's, he is being, you know, he's, he's so far beyond, um, any of our conceptions. And I think that's, that's part of, part of that applies to to the resurrection too. Like the moment you say something about the resurrection, it's like, well, I don't, I don't know if that's going to actually quite get it. Um, because, because we're going to be, journeying into God forever. That's, I mean, that's what eternity is. We're going to just be learning more and more about God. We're going to experience more and more of the divine, um, forever. Um, and even the, even the word forever, like the word forever, falls short. What does forever mean? It's not like it's going to be like this year after year sort of thing. It's going to be even better than time, like even more, even greater. I, I don't, I didn't even know how to explain it, but yeah, that's one of the things I love about reading John's words in scripture that, I mean, he knew Jesus better than probably anybody besides his mom. And <laughs> he is this beloved disciple. You read his work and like, he just, he gets it and at the end of his gospel he's like jesus did so many other things like there's just not even enough ink or paper in the world for me to explain it and then you read revelation and regardless of your views on eschatology like you can tell dude is struggling to explain what he's saying yeah whether he is talking about the roman empire at the time or he's talking about like Iran and Russia and an antichrist in the middle of a three and a half year tribulation. However you want to look at it, he is struggling to explain what he's seeing. Yeah. And the fact that he so 
gets Jesus and still has such a hard time talking about the glory and the transcendence of what he sees in heaven and what he sees taking place as Jesus comes back to reign in victory, that if the person who was a fallen human that knew Jesus best on a day-to-day kind of basis had such a hard time explaining what he saw and he had probably the deepest context of most people to be able to explain it it's like the rest of us just don't even have a shot you know Mm -hmm. like we can just like we can read his stuff and be like "Mm -hmm, yeah sure but we have no idea like when Paul talks about the we can't even imagine I mean, it's more than we could ask or imagine. Like, we literally don't even have the tools available Mm -hmm. to ask the questions. Yeah. Like, we don't even know what questions to ask. And used to, that really freaked me out because I like knowledge and I like to know and I like to understand what's coming. But the more that I have learned to love and to trust God as father and creator and lover of my soul, Mm. the more that excites me because I trust the fact that it is just, it's just going to be good and it's going to be more good than I can imagine it's going to be. And it's more of like anticipation as opposed to anxiety, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Something, um, that's coming to mind as we're talking about, um, about how language fails is I, I'm, um, in the middle of auditing a class right now, just for funsies, um, on <laughs> mystical <love> <laughs> commentary on the Song of Songs. Um, it's oh my gosh! Oh, is this where the Eros post on Substack? Yes. Came oh from? yes, okay, yes, good. yes. Good. It's so good. Ah. Um, but a part of the tradition of commentary on the Song of Songs is this idea that uh, the books ascribed to Solomon follow a a pattern that builds. So yeah. the first is either Proverbs or Ecclesiastes, and the second is either Proverbs or Ecclesiastes, but the third is Song of Songs. And the idea is that the spiritual life is moving from, um, say, like Origen says, moving from uh, Proverbs, which is like moral instruction, to Ecclesiastes, which is being purged of like worldly attachments. And finally, what you get to is union with God and the only language that does any kind of justice to what union with God looks like is erotic love like that is that's the purpose of erotic language is because that's what our union with God is going to be like and so there's this idea and I'm kind of convinced of it actually so I grew up thinking Song of Songs was like uh Jewish love poetry and on its face it was written for I it was written for a, a, a human couple it was written about yeah. a human couple but I'm sort of starting to be convinced that it's actually written to be allegory yeah. it's it's written for the purpose of describing our relationship with God uh and so so the, all this marital imagery all even <laughs> even sex and marriage itself is really telling about what what the resurrected life, what glory is going to be like. Um, 
yeah, I don't, that just really excites me. That really gets me going. And maybe it's because my, my life has been sort of shaped by a focused attention on the erotic, either because I was right. really scared of it or like really forced <laughs> into it or, but like the language just really clicks for me. I, I think that that language is maybe the best shot we have at describing what eternity is going to be like. We're going to be in love with God forever, in ecstasy <sighs> with God yeah. forever. Yeah. And when you think about the fact, like people that I'm going to kind of tread lightly with that. Hold on. Let me think about that. <laughs> like those, those who have no relationship with God, like I was going to say, it's easy enough for people who do have a relationship with God for sex to become an idol. But when you have no relationship or understanding of God, and you are only working with sex like it's not a both and it's an either or for you at that point that a sexual relationship and that sort of union is most likely the closest you are going to come to understanding a union with with god Hmm. and i mean i i don't think it's something that people are really going to argue um lewis talks c.s lewis talks about this a lot just how grand and fantastic sex is nobody's ever going to be like i mean on the grand scale of human experiences i'd place it at like a three out of five i mean like it, it seems to be like across human history a generally accepted universal understanding that sex is the mind-blowing pleasure experience of human existence sure yeah i mean you know sure Fine. We'll we'll go with it, and you know, like when you read when you read like Lewis's statement about, uh, like handing over this idea of sex and love, and the fact that even how high we set it as like the ultimate, fully spiritual, relational, physical experience of humanity, and yet he still describes it as playing in a mud puddle compared to the love of Christ. Yeah. Like that's the highest experience you can have as a human. And it is playing in mud mm-hmm. compared to being in relationship with Christ. And if people could really grasp the depth and ridiculousness of that statement, you know, mm-hmm. like people struggle, especially with those of us that have made a commitment to celibacy because they cannot comprehend something being better than sex. They think mm-hmm. that we are idiots. But like when you can just get that glimpse of the fact that it's just a taste yeah. of what you've got. If you will just yeah. trust the creator who made you, who created you intentionally to have those thoughts and feelings and sensations and mm-hmm. all of that. Yeah. And he says, this is just a whisper and a shadow of what it's like to be in intimate relationship with me. If we could just trust that. Mm. Yeah. I mean, how different the world would be now before we ever even get to the glorification part, you know? For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Even if, even if I'm not totally convinced that sex is the highest, the highest. Uh, yeah, me neither. Intimacy. But, you know, that tends to be the but, popular theory, right? E- yeah. But even if, like, sexual intimacy, not everyone, not everyone has access to. Exactly. Um, and not everyone can or even should um, pursue, but the kind of intimacy 
to which sexual intimacy points our intimacy with God is open to all. Exactly. And in, and in some sense, um, um, this might be slightly spicy, but I think that people who are celibate, um, who, who have renounced the world in, in maybe some, some important ways might be able to grasp um, might be freed up to grasp that divine human intimacy in a deep in a deeper way than those who are perhaps distracted. This is this is what the Apostle Paul says. You know, the the, the married yeah. man is anxious about the affairs of the world, uh, the, um, but the the unmarried man is anxious about the affairs of God. So, right. um, yeah, I think. That really excites me about about celibacy. Um, yeah. Sounds sounds a little uh, possibly inspired by some fantastic saint named Dorothy. Uh, oh, that, <laughs> yeah, seems yes. a little similar to some things that perhaps that she would have she would have said. Oh gosh, did you um, read that article? You read oh, that article. It was, it was so good. This America yes. Magazine article. It was so good. We, we will include it. it in the show notes because it was transformative. I told it's some so people, good. I was like, it's a Catholic article about Dorothy Day. And I had such a phenomenal conversation with some straight reformed friends about it that they were like, I'm going to have to sit with this and think about it. That makes so much sense. And this gives me so much language to things that I've felt and desired and understood, but never felt like I was allowed to express because of my American puritanical beliefs on sex and relationships and whatever. And it is absolutely phenomenal. So yeah, we got to make sure that that's included um, in the notes so that it's people can go so read it killer. and their worlds can be rocked. Yes. Um, but not like suppressing sexuality, like the kind of summing up is this idea that, that Dorothy did not suppress sexuality because she was single and celibate, but discussed it and embraced it and was like, this is who I am and this is what I experience and shared how she felt about interacting with relationships past and present and whatever it was that happened whether in dreams or whatever and saying this is how god created me to be and it is pointing to and establishing a greater thing and she leaned into her sexuality as a single celibate woman as opposed to denying it or suppressing it and that was just revolutionary yeah to those of us non-catholics reading it because we've just been told act as much as you can as if you don't desire sex pretend to be asexual if you can't make your same-sex attraction go away at least be asexual mm -hmm. like that's somehow mm -hmm. better um and like hers is the exact opposite she was like i'm gonna lean into the fact that god created me this way and i enjoy it and it's pointing me to something even better and it was yeah. beautiful it it's for me it sort of connects with what i was saying earlier about gregory of nyssa and how mm -hmm. like eternity is going to be entering deeper and deeper into God, which means that for eternity, we will be longing for more and more of God. And yeah. so that changes how we actually approach our longings now, because it's not like in the resurrection, 
we're going to to not desire anything anymore. We're going right. to be we're going to be stoic and and stationary and we're not going to want anything. But yeah. but in the resurrection we're going to always be wanting more. We're never going to be finally satisfied. So in the here and now, when I'm dealing with longings and yearnings, I don't have to I don't have to fall into the trap of thinking that there will be some way to finally satisfy these desires. Yeah. Because there won't be. What I can do is I can follow these desires all the way back to their source. And their source is, is God. And I can I can follow them like tributaries up a river. And eventually, like through those desires, not not despite those desires, right. but in some sense through them, I can long for God and God will never disappoint. Yeah. Other other things will disappoint, but but God will never disappoint. Exactly. Like what are the the basic kind of counseling things you might hear? It almost feels kind of cliche at this point because I've heard it so much. But like illegitimate desire has a legitimate root. Like Mm -hmm. there is Mm -hmm. when you are talking about a sinful desire, there is a root in it somewhere of something that is real and something that is good because sin can only twist God's creation. Like it's not... It's not new and creative in and of itself. And so when instead of ignoring or suppressing or denying those desires, if you can take the time to figure out what it is that you really, really are looking for, Mm -hmm. that it's always going to point you back to Christ and this relationship and this understanding. And even when it is intimacy, when you Mm -hmm. have a longing for intimacy with a human being, it is still an intimacy and a longing for what we are going to have in Christ, because we are never going to be satisfied on this earth with anything that is only going to be fulfilled in eternity. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And even then our longing is glorified in a way that it's not satisfied, but it is always going to find an outlet. We are always going to be learning. We are always going to be growing. We are always going to be more and more, yeah. In an understanding, like sanctification is completed. We are glorified, but we don't quit learning. Like we don't yeah. just immediately know everything there is to know about an infinite God, you mm-hmm. know? And yeah. getting that and understanding what that is going to look like, especially from a queer perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I think this is part of the speculation that I, I don't know how many other people would, would wonder about something like this, but this is something I think about. Um, looking at how much conflict there tends to be in the church with questions about just queerness in general, uh, how much of that is going to not be an issue, obviously, since we're going to be glorified and sin is no longer a question, mm-hmm. but how how is that going to be dealt with and addressed and what that what's that going to look like you know like when you talk to very conservative christians it's i mean it goes back to the disability question as if everything is going to be erased and mm-hmm. we're all going to be very uniform mm-hmm. like i i've had so much so of very conservative white people 
specifically saying that they think everybody is pretty much going to look the same in our glorified bodies because Adam and Eve, I mean, they were the only two people. We'll just kind of all go back to looking the same because clearly they must have looked the same as if it's going to erase part of our humanity in the diversity of, yeah, as if that diversity was not actually part of God's plan. Like mm-hmm. the diversity of humanity is a result of the fall, which is a horrible That's bad thing to think about right bad bad so like exactly so like what what that is going to look like for lgbtq people specifically Mm -hmm. is a like is that going to be a perfected glorified acceptance of a huge broad range of of expression and of Mm -hmm. appearance Mm -hmm. and just that like the realization I've had of the last couple of years that in eternity I'm not necessarily the one that's going to change it's going to be the hearts of those who judge us (laughs) like it's okay to think about and to speculate about those things and for all of us to go girl I don't even know yeah I don't know like you and your insomnia need to just sit on that for a little while longer you know yeah I'm gonna have to think about that one for a little while. I'll I'll keep thinking. We'll see what we'll see what we come up. Yeah, with. we'll see what we come up with. Um, look out for our systematic theology coming out. No, just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> Life on side B theology part one would be great. Oh, that'd be find weird. some people to work. Weird with and wild. I know. I kind of love it. Any other thoughts from you, Grant, about glorification and eternity? About glorification and eternity. I mean, I think we got we got a lot of them. Um, yeah, that was. You know, I was really nervous at the beginning of this, but I don't. I think I think we really we got some interesting stuff out there. We oh, yeah. we really gloried in it. That's what it is. We're like, this gets I us like excited, it. and it should yeah. get us excited. Yeah, I think that's really the point of it is anticipating what eternity is going to look like. Yeah. And I love that idea. Well, thanks for having this conversation. Absolutely. Hopefully, Thank you so much hopefully for we've, guiding this. Hopefully we've stirred some thoughts and gotten some some people thinking. And Yeah, please send your hate mail to... That's right. <laughs> That's right. I mean, you can I'm easy direct to find message online. me on Twitter. <laughs> That's right. I'm easy to find online. Send it to me. It's no problem. Yeah. Anyway, thanks so much, Becca. Thank you.